The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. And today is Wednesday, October 26th. Do we have the clerk present? What year is Glenn it? Kersey. Good morning. Good morning. Council member Letitia Johnson. Present. Council member Mary Waters. Present. Council member Angela Whitfield Calloway. There is a, cor- a quorum, Madam Chair. Thank you. Just want to be sure you was able to hear member Calloway. Yes, thank you. Excellent, thank you. Having a quorum present, we are now in session. Is there an approval of the minutes? Motion. There's a motion to approve the minutes. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. We are going to move into public comment. Mr. Scott, can you please let everyone virtually know how to raise their hand for public comment this morning. To raise, to raise your hand, hand for public, public comment, comment is Windows, Windows on, 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 on a Mac option plus Y. On the telephone, telephone star nine to mute and unmute on my star six. We don't have anyone in person for public comment. Mr. Scott, can you let us know how many hands we have raised? We will cut off public comment at 10.05. But we currently have nine hands raised. Okay. It is all. No, my volume is off. It's on mute. Yeah, I don't have volume on. Yeah, my speakers are mute. Is that better? Okay. That's better. We're not hearing the feedback now. Mr. Scott, can you tell us if we have any hands raised? We have nine hands raised. The first hand is Michael Lamont Cunningham Jr. Yeah, you can't hear me. 
you can't hear me on this microphone? I can hear you now. Okay, it's Michael Lamont Cunningham Jr., which is the first hand. Okay. Mr. Cunningham, good morning. You have two minutes. Good morning, Madam Chair. Um, I was wondering if the council women were going to send somebody to the ARC tomorrow, 51 West Hancock, Detroit, Michigan, 4201. Um, it's paratransit. They're going to be talking about paratransit. Um, I know I seem to be functional, but I have herniated discs in my spine down my legs, and it's been 13 years on disability for it, and I'm a paratransit customer as well. If I'm not driving, I can use, I'm, I'm certified, I've already applied and was approved to use paratransit. And there's a lot of problems. So hopefully some staffers can go to that meeting tomorrow, October 27th from five, 4 to 5 p.m. I'm not part of ARC, but um, I do have some issues with the paratransit system. And hopefully the powers that be, you wonderful councilwomen, uh, we'll send um, someone to that meeting tomorrow under Durhall um, sponsoring that meeting. Um, also, my condolences to Councilmember Callaway. I was wondering to know if constituents are permitted to send flowers and things of that nature, and where do they send them to if that is the case? My hotline number that I made extends my time so you can listen. It's three minutes. Anyone under the sound of my voice, 313-444-9114. Again, 313-444-9114. That, that, that number was made so you can remember it. And on Facebook, um, Force Subservience Cunningham. Force Subservience Cunningham. I'm getting a lot of inboxes and things of that nature. Still giving out free rides to the clerk's office to vote early absentee. 313-444-9114. Um, I don't know if you're permitted to answer those, that question. That Thank you so much, Mr. Cunningham. Uh, we, are, we will have someone present at the meeting tomorrow and uh, Member Calloway would like to respond. Member Calloway. Thank you, Madam Chair, and good morning, Cunningham, Cunningham, Cunningham. Thank you for your um, your prayers and your well wishes on the passing of my father. But um, in lieu of sending me flowers, I would love it if any constituent under the sound of my voice wants to send flowers, that they would take them to the nursing home on West Outer Drive, right across from Renaissance High School. We have quite a few residents there that are confined to that nursing home, and I know they would love to receive flowers or a visit. So thank you, Cunningham, Cunningham, Cunningham. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Mr. Scott, did we have any additional hands that were raised? Yes, it's um, at least eight. So the next caller is D2 Victimized Detroit Retiree. Good morning, D2 Victimized Detroit Retiree. You have two minutes. Hello? Good morning. Good morning, how are you? Great, thank you, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, I'd like to speak on um, I know, I believe we have this ordinance um, coming up. Um, it's a revision of the ordinance. I think then you guys have been working on it. Uh, but I, I think we still don't have all the right information. Um, so I don't know. I, I just don't think that we should, um, you know, right at this point, ch you know, change or, or amend that, uh, that ordinance as it relates to, um, you know, 
as it relates to property taxes or the way we're going to figure them. Because, you know, the, the, the Michigan voters, we voted, you know, back um, in 95, you know, to put a cap on the taxes so they couldn't go, you know, they could only go so high. So until we would sell or transfer our property, that amount would be capped. And it, the cap value should be present on our uh, assessment. So that's what's missing is the cap value. So um, I, we, sh we shouldn't just yet. I think we should just take another moment. Um, uh, Councilwoman uh, Callaway, my condolences for your loss. Um, and hopefully um, you guys will, you know, start listening to some of the things that, you know, some of the citizens are telling you. Because like right now we have all of these cases coming back at you years and years, you know, ago. And because we're not taking our time, we just believe in what people say. Just like a computer, garbage in, garbage out. You know, so if someone's feeding you garbage, all you're going to be able to do is, you know, rely on the garbage to make your determinations. Thanks a lot. Um, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. Thank you. Our next caller is support property tax reform ordinance. Good morning, support property tax reform ordinance. You have two yes. minutes. Good morning, uh, council. Uh, thank you for allowing us an ability to respond to the injustice that we faced. I was overtaxed on both properties, my uh, primary home and my inherited home. Uh, no other people would stand for being overtaxed $600 million. And we thank you for entertaining the ability to reform this injustice of overtaxation. We're in a, we're right now in a pandemic we're in a recession and we black people have been have been taken for lemmings right now and we want you to support justice and justice is the reform of property taxes uh, injustice of reform of the ordinance we want you to support that ordinance reform ordinance for property tax uh, justice. And we want the city council, well, we want the mayor, because it's in his hands as well. We want him to devise, to help and support devising compensation to us taxpayers. $15,000, I would have been able to fix my homes. A home is a human right and also our investment. And we have been displaced from our investment. No other people is going through this. Caucasian people, if we we're in Bloomfield Hills, this wouldn't even be an issue. But because we're black, we are treated like this. So we are imp uh, imperative about the reform of property taxes in Detroit because they have not been properly uh, adjusted for this situation. And we want you to please think of us because we'll think of you in November. Have a blessed day. Thank you again. Thank you. Our next caller is Margaret Daniel. Margaret Daniel. Good morning, Margaret Daniels. You have two minutes. Um, a good morning to everyone. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, it is my understanding that this committee has the authority to make the property taxpayers whole 
and allow the city council to provide oversight to the process used in the assessment division process. That process needs uh, to be overhauled. And I would appreciate it as a 40 year taxpayer at same property, some kind of uh, you thinking that this does not matter to the taxpayers, but it does. We're losing every day something. And you, as a committee, need to find a way to help the taxpayers in the city of Detroit with these issues. Are always put on the pandemic or on a computer in the assessor's office. Thank you so much. Thank you, um, Madam Chair. Council as a whole is um, reviewing an ordinance that Council President Sheffield sponsored as it relates to the over-assessment and um, the process that we go through with the Board of Review and um, the forms that are completed. And so that is being considered by the entire council. Uh, Member Waters. Thank you, uh, Madam Chair. I, I just want to say to the caller that this body has no such authority um, as a body, not, not the Internal Ops Committee. Uh, and I also want to further point out that City Council, uh, as a body, has limited authority. The thing that we have to do is that we have got to get the state to change some things in order to make certain things happen. Uh, you might want to research lend to credit and those kinds of terms so that you can understand what, we, what we're dealing with uh, when it comes to these uh, over-assessments. And yes, you know, uh, we know that it has to be addressed in some form. And so the, the thing about it is that we're trying to come to an agreement how we can make that happen within the confines of the current law. And there is a law that kind of holds our, you know, ties our hands, but we'll do what we can within the confines of the law. So thank you uh, so much, Madam Chair. Thank you. Okay, our next caller is Overwith. Good morning, Mr. Overwith. You have two minutes. Thank you for the two minutes. Uh, it's not nearly enough, but what I want to do to address um, and this is my favorite committee and the whole city council committee lineup um, because you three women represent three-fifths of the votes necessary to move anything uh, on the Detroit council, city council. Now, if you get two more votes, y'all could push through an agenda and uh, change the whole scope and scale of what's happening here in Detroit on the streets. Y'all had the ability with two more votes to do a whole priority change, not a shift, a change, total change, complete change. Now this morning at 8.15, an officer Rosier came to my house because I called the police. And this is the same joker that's uh, 
arrested me, tricked me out the house, and arrested me on two different occasions on BS. Now, I done made all the complaints necessary this morning. Now, yesterday I talked to the captain at 11 Precinct, Captain Johnson. He said he did not tell the officer to arrest me. Now, this morning, the guy shows up. Same officer that said Captain Johnson said to arrest me. Don't look at the video. Arrest me. Um, shows up at my house again. Now, this is the third officer. Officer Elijah Williams, badge number 4798, no longer works for the Detroit Police Department. Now, it was another officer who no longer works for the Detroit Police Department. Same harassment, intimidation tactics. I need action. It's a city council of Detroit. One of these jokers is lying. Either the officer lying or the captain lying. The Detroit City Council has subpoena power. They can call them in there and ask them the question, who ordered the arrest and get the truth? And that's what I need action on. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Overwith. Um, I will ask my staffer to connect with you so I can get some greater details um, so that we can respond and follow up. Right, your next caller is Marie Sheehan, Street Democracy. Good morning, Marie Sheehan. You have two minutes. Hi, are you able to hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, hello, my name is uh, Marie Sheehan. I am an attorney at Street Democracy. I'm a member of the Coalition for Property Tax Justice. Um, all of my legal work is about uh, property taxes in the state of Michigan, and I am also a certified uh, Michigan assessor. I'm here today because um, we are asking that uh, because council president has sent the property tax reform ordinance to this committee. Um, and we're asking that city council um, pass the reform ordinance this year. Um, if the council doesn't pass it before their November recess, the city of Detroit is going to continue overtaxing um, Detroit homeowners. Last year, the city overtaxed um, 12% of all Detroit homeowners, that's more than one in 10 Detroit homeowners, waiting until after the November recess to pass the reform ordinance means that Detroit homeowners won't see any relief until the 2024 property tax cycle. Um, and I also want to address the comments from Member Waters. Um, the coalition has extensively researched um, and all of my legal work has, has focused on what the city is capable uh, of changing and all the proposals from the coalition um, that we've shared with um, every member of city council are all within the legal authority of city council to pass. Um, and so we're asking that the city council act with some urgency. Um, and then I, of course, also want to extend my condolences and prayers to Council Member um, uh, Callaway. Um, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. The next caller is phone number ending in 711. Good morning, caller ending in 711. You have two minutes. Excuse me. Good morning. Good morning, council and residents and taxpayers. Uh, my name is Malik Shelton. Uh, first of all, 
I like to say that there is plenty that the council can do regarding the the overassessment of the Detroit uh, homeowners and property owners. And I also like to say that this isn't something that should be spoken of in the past tense, just like the previous caller who represented herself as an attorney said, is actually what's going on in the city of Detroit is called racialized property assessment, where homes uh, that are very expensive or more expensive, highly valued, have high market value, are actually being assessed way below the lawful assessment amounts. And homes in the city of Detroit that have very low market value are being highly assessed or over-assessed. And it's being done along racialized or racial lines. This is a fact. Uh, this is also something that you can do. You, you have access to the Legislative Policy Division. Prove me wrong. There have been several limited tax general obligation bonds issued. Over 1.1 or 1.2 billion. I can itemize them, but because of time restraints, I won't do it. But I have the whole list, the dates they were issued, the amounts, what type of bond it was, and we and the residents and taxpayers of, of Detroit did not receive our lawfully required, according to the Municipal Finance Act, we did not require our, our notice of referendum, our notice of intent to issue these bonds. This is a flagrant breach, violation of the law. Now, you can prove me wrong. Have the Legislative Policy Division, headed up by David Whitaker, have them do a study. Thank you. Next, the final two callers, hands are raised. Um, the next caller is William M. Davis. Good morning, Mr. William M. Davis. You have two minutes. Uh, good morning. This is William M. Davis, and my condolences also go out to Member Calloway's uh, on her loss. Uh, I'd like to start off by saying that I need Perhaps I should remind y'all again that the city of Detroit retirees um, during the nine years that um, the mayor has been in office has not received one penny back. Yet his salary and council member salary has gone up and police department salaries has more than doubled. Also, I'd like to point out the fact that um, I believe that the Detroit Board of Police Commissioners, which I was a previously an elected member, is acting in a questionable practice in that they have two people that's been working out of the class for over two years, almost three years for one. Uh, you know, if we could hire a, a chief of police in 90 days and we have a number of qualified candidates that put in for a board secretary and intern, you know, and chief of you know, officer, chief investigator, we could fire, we could, we could hire someone, but you know, we shouldn't be keeping people in positions of authority just because they're friends with the ongoing rotating chair person from your district uh, chairwoman, uh, Willie Bell, you, you know, and we should not make it so that somebody can stay in an all the class position so long that it permanently increases their pension. They permanently increases that final compensation. Uh, I believe that the city of Detroit is opening itself up for potential lawsuits by what's been going on over there. Uh, I've been trying to point that out to people. This council needs to be looking more closely at the Detroit Board of Police Commissioners. And, you know, how could the, 
the Detroit police officers, uh, how could we be asking them to follow the law and do what's right when the board of police commissioners uh, are not even following the city charter? You know, that, you know, there's some mandated positions that's supposed to be filled and the people working in it are not qualified. Thank you. Thank you. Councilwoman, have you closed public comment? Yes. Okay. So the last hand raised is phone number ending in 534. Good morning, caller ending in 534. You have two minutes. And just as a reminder, public comment was cut off at 1005. Yes, good morning. May I be heard? Good morning, yes. Yes, well, to all the people listening, I don't know if you recall when the state lobbyists came and presented their work. Um, they sure are focusing on economic development projects, but when they were asked about the $600 million over taxation, it's way, way, way on the back burner. Also, everybody, call your state legislators and urge them to do something about this. I've heard Gretchen Whitmer say there's a $600 billion surplus. This is the time to fix this problem. But I'd also like to talk about, as a taxpayer, um, you know, a lot of people, if you, we don't really get the services we deserve. Um, you know, for example, the city website, Mary Sheffield has even said the city's about equity and inclusion. And I commend Letitia Johnson, Chairwoman Letitia Johnson, asked for planning studies during the budget hearings. And she got a bunch of excuses why they couldn't do it. Now, that was a choice from this administration. And I think what's happening here uh, has a lot to do with this administration. And I'm disappointed when the city councils let this administration get away with so much. But like about the equity inclusion, uh, planning studies are supposed to be so that residents can participate, sit down with their neighbors and have a say about their own neighborhood. But that didn't happen in my neighborhood. And this mayor, he he's heard a lot of opposition from the residents about North End Landing. I'm still going to talk about it. North End Loathing. We were not treated fairly. We were treated like second-class citizens. The mayor said he would meet with us. Then he canceled the meeting and only met with a few people in person down at the K-Mac Fortress during COVID. So I've reached out to the Creo office. Thank you so much. Uh, public comment has now ended. We are going to move back to the agenda. Our first uh, interview, uh, line item five. There she is. Ms. Patman is already here. Good morning, Ms. Patman. Good morning, Madam Chair and Madam Chair. Our opportunity to be before you and Councilmember Waters and Councilmember Callaway. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, Ms. Patman is the, uh, the individual brought forth for Member Waters, correct? Um, and Ms. Patman is currently a Board of Review uh, member. So Ms. Patman, can you tell us about yourself and um, maybe talk about your experience on the Board of Review? Great, good morning. Yes, I am a Board of Review member. I was born in the city of Detroit, raised in the city, and I love the city that I serve in. And my background is um, working in community um, health and also a community coordinator 
working for a nonprofit as well. I've been a business owner for over 30 years and working with seniors and families in affordable housing. Um, and to see that a lot of our seniors end up in the senior communities and portable housing is because of different things. One could be health and a lot of times they can no longer afford to um, do repairs in their home. So they end up being homeowners from homeowners to renters. And so um, working in the community just to be able to give them hope and um, let them know that, you know, that there's other options and to help them to age in place where they are, knowing that the city um, is fighting for them to um, not only have affordable housing, but also to be affordable and safe housing. So being on the board of review, of course, when I just came um, a board member in March and being a board member in March. Um, so I came in during the March board of review. So when I first came, I was like, okay, um, this is interesting, and I know it's a lot to learn, but I think um, my council member, Mary Waters, for believing in me for this position, because it's not about titles, it's not about where you've been or what you did in the past, but it's about having a compassion for what you do, especially as a board of review member. And as a board of review member, yes, we have challenges, and um, we get to hear the people out, just as you guys hear that ha happen to hear the people out for their concerns and their situations. And I am just um, happy to be a part of giving people hope and opportunity to um, make decisions and to hear um, how I can better um, serve them as a servant in the city. So one of the things that um, I love when I first came is the compassion that the board members have because you can come in this position and um, you can see the work and it, it is a lot of work, but it was, it's not about the work again or the title, but about the compassion. And when you come to the board of review, we hear people's situation and I just um, realize I'm in a situation uh, in a position to make a change in somebody's life and to hear our um, citizens. And one of the, our citizens came down, she was a senior um, during our March board of review and I'm sure it was a lot for her to get down here. She was on a cane, but she wanted to us to hear her story. And we heard her story. And once I heard her story, to be able to listen to her, maybe realize this is what it's all about, um, being able to hear um, the cries and the um, things that seniors want us to, not just seniors, but anybody that's struggling to pay their taxes, they just want to know that they are heard. And I am just happy to be a part of that. Excellent, thank you. Um, and joining the Board of Review in March had to be like hitting the, the pavement and yeah. starting to run. I can't imagine how that was for you, but glad to see you there. Um, I'm wondering if you have, since you've been there, had to, to deal with any mediation um, challenges with between a taxpayer and the city. Oh, that's, yes, that's like an ongoing basis because, um, and I'll just give an example, um, maybe my first week as a board member, um, and I don't know if you guys remember, it was a mother who um, had, had stabbed her baby and uh, um, she stabbed her baby multiple times. 
And I was watching that on the news before I came into the uh, to the office that morning. Um, and then, uh, and I was just like, wow, Lord, and just, you know, prayed for the baby. And knowing, not knowing that I would get a call from the grandmother of that baby. And that mother, grandmother was, of course, stressed because her home was in, born into foreclosure. Um, she just become the guardian of the baby. The baby's still in the hospital, but she has to have a place for that baby to live and she take on guardianship. So we worked with her. Um, one of the things, there are certain things that we need in order to um, make decisions for our citizens. And one of them is a registered deed. And she went to go get her registered deed because I told her I need that in order to, um, to help her. And when she got down there, she realized that the home wasn't even hers, that someone had, she did a quick claim and, and she's in the process of in foreclosure, not in her baby, her grandbaby is fighting for her life. And then on top of that, she finds out the home isn't hers. But Mr. Donwell, I took the case to Mr. Donwell, who is an excellent mentor, who has wisdom, who pours into us as a board member to make sure we have everything we need. We were able to meet the need of that grandmother. So you never know who you might meet or who you will um, be able to help. But that was rewarding to me and, you know, just going that extra mile to make sure that that mother, grandmother was able to keep her home and care for her grandbaby. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Um, I think many of us just don't realize the types of experiences that you all um, have to uh, deal with on the Board of Review just individual cases, case by case, um, yes. just listening to people's situation and, and understanding their situation to be able to help them and walk them through the process. So thank you so much. Uh, I am going to turn it over to Member Waters. Okay. Well, good morning. Good morning. All right. Um, so when you all receive uh, applications, you receive them uh, directly from that homeowner. Do you also receive applications from, from other parties? Um, for example, you don't just do property taxes. What else do you do? Uh, do you receive oh. the application for home repairs as well? Yes, we do. Um, so we work with several community partners and our partners. Um, a lot of the citizens go to the community partners to help do those applications. And right now, um, those applications, a majority of those applications are right now is for home repair. And so, you know, it's been a challenge just because we, you know, you're doing two things. You're trying to make sure people taxes are paid. And of course you want people to be able to have the approved for home um, repair. But, you know, of course everybody doesn't uh, qualify, but you know, we're glad that we're able to send them to like the My Hope and other programs that, you know, will have a, a, a guideline that's not, you know, that they that will be able to fit into their guidelines. So yes, um, yes, we work with uh, a lot of community partners. We do, do things out of the, in the community. We also did our resource day. So there's more than just sitting at the desk, going through files to see who is, you know, who you can exempt or, it, it, it's more to what we do. I'd like to know a little bit more about the application that you receive from 
the community partners. Is that application completed when you receive it? Was there an additional work that you have to do once you receive that application? Yes, Councilwoman, there is. Um, applications are not always complete, but we do work with our community partners. Um, and we have meetings, monthly meetings, to go over what we need in order to have a complete application. And things have gotten better, but we still um, are working out the kinks to so we can move faster because right now we have over 14,000 applications still growing. And um, we thank God for the assessors who um, right now we have some people in training to come up board to help us. But um, one of the things challenges was that our applications were not complete when they um, get to us, but the assessor's team is doing a great job to make sure that's happened. So right now we're moving, um, but we still um, need the help and assistance. So we wanna thank you guys for even giving, um, putting in the budget to, uh, to bring in that extra help. All right, well, um, thank you, uh, Dr. Patman. I'm hoping that at some point then, in that case that the Board of Review can receive some <sighs> completed applications or there's some, some sort of way that that process can be a lot smoother so that yes. you guys can, 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 you know, expedite things uh, on yes. behalf of these people who, who are looking for home repair assistance as well as a property tax assistance. It just seemed to me that there's something missing there when you guys receive those applications and that some, some, some additional things yes. could be improved on the front end. So I'll, I'll, I'll be asking Mr. Dunwell about that because I do want to know a little bit more about that and how we can help uh, as legislators make that process a lot smoother for you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Member Waters. Any additional questions? I do not see any. I just want to say I think it's great that you all are providing those wraparound services for people because I don't believe that's necessarily a responsibility of yours, but um, to provide that extra support for people um, that you are already working with because um, I think it's important to make sure that we get those resources to the people who need it most and uh, individuals who are qualifying for HOPE are the, the individuals and the families that we certainly want to make sure are connected with the additional resources. So thank you for doing that. Member Waters. Yeah, I, you know, I just want to say that um, uh, Dr. Patman is an unusual appointee. <laughs> and in the sense that, I mean, not just that, I mean, she's hardworking, uh, she is caring, and I've got to tell you, Wherever, a lot of times my team and I are, there she is, lending a helping hand. That goes for both her and Mr. Donwell. In fact, you might, you'll see both of them, you know. And so I just certainly uh, appreciate the extra effort uh, that you all are willing to provide. And thank you so much. And I want to thank you, Honorable Councilmember Mary Waters at large. And if you guys see, I have my pen on. I wear it proudly, not just as a city, um, working for the city, but serving the citizens of the city, just as you guys are. Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for your time. Uh, is there a motion on line item five? Uh, motion to approve. 
and send a form of a recommendation for approval. Thank you. There's a motion to approve line item five. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Member Waters, um, is there a motion to request LPD to draft a memo or resolution for line item five? Yes, please. Motion, Madam Chair. Thank you. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Moving on. Thank you, Dr. Patman. Enjoy Thank the you. rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Moving on to line item six, we have Ms. Jacqueline Robinson. Ms. Robinson is uh, the appointee or the, the individual that's being uh, presented before us representing District 1 for the Board of Review. Good morning, Ms. Robinson. Peace and good morning. Why don't you uh, share a little bit about yourself and tell us about your experience on the Board of Review? Okay, um, so uh, first and foremost, my background is in social work. Um, I did a lot of work with family and children's services, a lot of work when it comes to development of families. Um, and for the last three or four years, I've been doing um, some large scale community organizing for um, and nonprofit work in the city of Detroit. Um, this, uh, I've been on the board of review and time flies two, three years now. Um, and, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is it takes about two years to really, really get a good grasp um, on how to operate effectively um, on the board. I like to think of myself as somebody who um, doesn't just process applications, but I truly believe in advocating um, for citizens in Detroit. And I, I believe that citizens in Detroit um, deserve practical and sustainable solutions, um, especially when it comes to stable housing. Um, one thing that I've learned over the past few years um, and the multitude, I'm talk, we're talking tens of thousands of Pope applications, is that poverty is a major issue in the city. Like, like a lot of the a lot of the things that we are seeing, a lot of the things that we are experiencing, the root cause is poverty. And I think we really have to begin to examine how we are going to elevate folks and empower them um, to take charge and really become active in their communities, really become um, uh, stable on their own. Um, we, I, you know, I think it's extremely important. And the border review has given me my my experiences on the border review has given me. Um, just a unique perspective. When I when I first started, um, I was somebody who was uh, not a fan, and I'm still not necessarily a fan, but I was really, really, really irritated with the assessor's office. Um, I just really didn't understand um, a lot of the moving pieces that were taking place, a lot of the boxes that uh, were put into legally. Um, and and it, it really took this experience for me to see, okay, there has to be some very nuanced uh, programming and nuanced approaches uh, to really addressing some of the issues that Detroiters are facing. Um, I, I have my, M, my MCAT, which is a Michigan Certified Assessor's Technician uh, uh, Certificate, um, and I'm also pursuing my Michigan Certified Michigan Certified Assessors Association Certification, so MCAO. Um, that's the first level um, to assessing because I felt like it was important for me to really, really understand um, a lot of the things that were taking place and how I can best serve 
um, citizens, not just in District 1, but every district. Uh, um, I truly believe that um, Detroiters deserve a platform to be elevated. And I think that it starts with making sure that how we mentioned those wraparound services, that they have access to wraparound services. I love those as a social worker because it makes sure that uh, people have access to resources in a holistic sense and not just one way. Like, you know, the HOPE program, we can, we can pay, we can get your taxes paid for the year, but what, how are we going to sustainably support you? Uh, you know, is it really sustainable? Is it really helpful if you have to come back every year? What are we doing to make sure that people are able to afford to live in their homes and they have access to resources that truly build them up? Um, so that's what I've taken away from my, my current experience. And I'm sure that if you ask me in another two years, um, it, it will be, you know, it, it will, I will have a lot more to say because you really just have to have contact and continue to do this work to really understand um, how, how big this is and how many moving pieces there are and how many people need help. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, I've witnessed your advocacy, advocacy work in the community and just can see and hear your passion coming through um, this morning. So we certainly appreciate you. You know, you're, you're talking to three council members, um, and there are others who are uh, tremendous advocates of, of affordable housing and um, really looking into ways to provide affordable home, home ownership opportunities. Um, and so uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you all are, are doing more than just helping people with the HOPE exemption application, um, but that you are extending yourselves to provide additional support and services to our residents. Um, and so I do want to ask you, so now that you have the experience, do you feel more comfortable in being able to review somebody's assessment and identifying whether or not it's, it's off or whether or not it's in line with um, where it should be? Absolutely, I do. And I do want to say that I don't think pursuing an MCAO is necessary in order to gain that knowledge. Like the MCAO is a huge undertaking that has a lot of pieces to it that don't necessarily have to do with, you know, March board or review. Um, but I will say that I do feel a lot more confident and I do understand, especially on a policy level, um, how things are being impacted. Um, and I would like to see the board to have opportunities to do, uh, you know, smaller trainings, continuing education. The MCAT is very important for us. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, the, the MCAO, I will say, has given me opportunities to learn a lot, maybe more than what I need to sit on the board as a board member. But it's given me an opportunity to to learn a lot. But I won't say that it hasn't been challenging. Like it's almost like pursuing a master's degree while trying to process thousands of applications. Um, so it has been uh, undertaking. Um, and uh, when I first entered the program, I was like, I'm gonna go for my MAAL afterwards. I, you know, I'm gonna do it. And now I'm like, uh, slow down, Jackie, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it is a lot of information and it, it's very challenging. And it's, it doesn't just pertain to March board. Um, there are, you know, fee appraisals and um, smaller pieces that are moving and some higher things that have nothing to do with us and we really can't afford. I heard you all mention earlier, uh, especially the Honorable uh, Councilwoman Mary Waters about the parameters, the legal parameters that we have to work within in order to make sure that, you know, we don't get caught up on some higher level legislation or, you know, we don't we don't get caught up in having to be overtaken by another government body. Um, so yeah, it, it has been helpful. I think I know uh, much more 
than I need to, to in order to operate as a board member, but I'm thankful that I have the access and knowledge because it has definitely helped me to advocate more for, for citizens. Excellent, thank you. Any questions from my colleagues? Member Waters? Um, and so good morning. Peace. And thank you for your advocacy. Uh, it seems to me that you've been, you've been at it since you uh, first got there. So thank you so very much. Uh, we look forward to uh, hearing a lot more from you in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, so seeing that there are no additional questions or comments, is there a motion on line item six? Um, motion to approve with recommendations to formal for approval. Thank you. There's a motion to send line item six to formal with a recommendation to approve. Any objection? Seeing none, that action shall be taken. Thank you so much, Ms. Robinson, for joining us. Thank you. Peace. You all have a great day. You as well. Uh, is there a motion to request that a memo be sent to LPD to um, draft a resolution for line item six? Motion. Seeing no objection, that action shall be taken. We are now going to move to unfinished business. Line item 7.1, status of council president, Mary Sheffield, submitting memorandum relative to request for a compensation amendment for board of review director. We have spoken with council president's office and there is a request to bring line item 7.1 back in one week, is there a motion? Motion. Seeing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.1 shall be brought back in one week. Line item 7.2, submitting resolution authorization contract number 600-4489, city funding to provide added functionality for the grievance tracking system with a disciplinary action tracking module to the existing HR system, including migration and implementation, technical support training and ongoing maintenance. There was um, quite a bit of discussion in regards to line item 7.2 last week. It is my understanding that the tax clearance has not been received and uh, there is a request to remove Line item 7.2. Motion. Any objection? Hearing none, uh, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.2 shall be removed from the agenda. Line item 7.3, status of council president, Mary Sheffield, submitting memorandum requesting the law department to provide a resolution to proclaim November as Family Court Awareness Month. Is there, we've, we've spoken to council president's office and she has received the memo. Is there a motion to receive and file? Motion. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 7.3 shall be received and filed. Moving on to new business. Without objection, I'd like to combine line items 8.1 and 8.3. 8.1 is 
A request for a settlement and lawsuit of Detroit Will Breathe et al. versus City of Detroit et al. Case number 20-12363. The police department in favor of Goodman Horitz PC and Schultz Law PLC in the amount of $860,000. And line item 8.3 is submitting resolution authorization for a settlement request in lawsuit of Emma Howland Bolton et al. versus City of Detroit et al. Case number 22-10751. The police department in the amount of $60,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Discussion. Member Calloway? Um, Madam Chair, these two cases are related? Yes, they are related. Okay. Well, I'm, um, I'm going to speak to 8.1, um, and I am very much in support of this settlement um, for these legal fees to be paid. Um, I do believe, and I'll continue to say, that I believe some of... Um, Detroit police officers um, were overly aggressive. Um, they arrested my three daughters, they manhandled them, and they abused them verbally and physically. And um, um, I remember and seeing one of my children on TV with her hands handcuffed behind her back, sitting on a sidewalk curb, had, having had been um, pepper sprayed by Detroit police officers. I'm very much in favor of this. Those protesters did not deserve the treatment that they received when they were peacefully protesting. And I know that to be true. My three daughters were out there and all three were handcuffed, pepper sprayed, rubber bullets by some of the police officers that serve in this city. Two of them were taken to the basement of the Little Caesars Arena and sat on a cold floor up against a wall for several hours. And my other one was taken to um, the detention center at Mound, and I think it was Davison. All of this could have been avoided. They were peacefully protesting. And then we had the nerve to appeal a decision Wasting taxpayer dollars yet again. This could have been settled a long time ago. It didn't even have to be litigated, but it was. Federal judge said there was no evidence that these protesters did anything to instigate a riot. So I'm in favor of this. I hope that we've learned a lesson from this, and I hope that we will allow folks to exercise their constitutional right to assemble and protest peacefully. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you. Is there a motion? Uh, motion for approval, Madam Chair, ditto. There is a motion to approve line items 8.1 and 8.3. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.1 and 8.3 shall be sent to formal with a Recommendation to approve. Line item 8.2, submitting resolution authorization. Settlement request in lawsuit of Robert Salt versus City of Detroit 
Case number 21-142-609-GC in the amount of $5,000 involving the Department of Transportation. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.2 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line items 8.4 and 8.18. Line item 8.4 is a request for a settlement and lawsuit of Kazen Case Management, LLC, Evan Ford versus City of Detroit, case number 20-013478-NI in the amount of $40,000 involving the Department of Transportation. And line item 8.18 is a settlement request and lawsuit of Right Way Rehab, Inc. et al., Evan Ford versus City of Detroit et al. Case number 21-009-071-NF in the amount of $116,550. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Motion to approve. Any objection? Hearing none. That action shall be taken. Line item 8.4 and 8.18 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Madam Chair. Member Calloway. These, um, we do a lot of approving around here. I guess mm. there's not a whole lot we can um, inquire about. Um, we can have discussion after discussion on a weekly basis, the three of us. I just would like to know, how do we do the, not that all the drivers are at fault, I realize that, but how do we address this issue with all these DDOT settlements? We do this every single week, it's in the millions. Every single week we say approve, approve, approve. We're good at that. So I, I'm just trying to understand can we, can we ask the, the director of DDOT to come or the law department? Because we got another three and a half years to keep approving all these settlements. I don't see anything being litigated. I just see approval, approval for settlements. So I keep asking. I mean, I know what the law department is going to say. They're going to say if we litigate, we're going to be out more money. Maybe if we tried to litigate, we wouldn't be out more money. I don't know. But we cannot continue as a city to continue to... It's, this is every week. It's in the millions. So I, I don't know if we can have a meeting with the director of DDOT and the law department together, Madam Chair, but this is every week. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars every single week. At the end of the month, it's millions. We have people who need roofs. Every, every day they come in here. Ms. Riley needs a roof. Some of my folks need a porch. We have sidewalks that people can't afford to be fixed because they're in front of their homes, and it's not city-owned property. We have folks who need housing, income-based housing. 
We have, need fo- we have folks who need winterized windows, senior citizens. So I, I just wish we could, I don't know if the DDOT drivers, if th- those who are at fault need retraining with driving, you know, um, drivers, Ed, I'm not sure. But we cannot continue to, to settle all these lawsuits every single week, just routinely now. We just do it. We can have our eyes closed and just approve. So, Madam Chair, if we can maybe, you know, I don't know how we can do that, maybe have DDOT and the law department come together and ha- come before us uh, maybe after recess because we have to discuss these, these lawsuits and settlements. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Calloway. Uh, Member Waters? Thank you. Um, I certainly would um, support that, uh, Member Calloway. Uh, in addition to that, I, I think that, uh, we should attend an amalgamated transit um, unions uh, meeting one day. And I think we should just go over and have a conversation with the bus drivers. And, and let's just ask them what in the world happens on any given day that would warrant s- such lawsuits. And they might be able to shed some light on these things. I'd kind of like to know what it is. Because I understand why the law department is settling these, you know, in general. People hate their government. You take it to court, they're just going to slam the government. They don't understand that it affects them, the taxpayers. They just, in general, say, well, you know, it's, it's their fault. It's the government's fault. And, and the next thing you know, you, um, you have a huge, huge, huge um, settlements coming out of court. So I know it's frustrating. It is for me because I sit here and make most of these motions. <laughs> But we're going to have some conversations, and hopefully uh, we, can, we can get some answers, just something, make us feel a little bit better. You know, all these approvals, you know? So thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Waters. Um, and I know we, we do this, and it seems like it's futile, but um, I, I do recall we had a closed session talking about um, DDI and the incidents that we continually see, um, but we will certainly reach out to have someone from DDOT and the law department come and have a conversation um, with us so that we have a better grasp of what's what's going on um, and how we can move forward um, with these these situations. So thank you, ladies. Without objection, I'd like to combine line items 8.5 and 8.6. They are both requests for lawsuit settlements. The first uh, is a case between Prism Lab LLC, Sebastian Richardson versus City of Detroit, case number 22-179027-GC. A DDOT incident in the amount of $10,000. And 8.6 is Robert Logwood versus City of Detroit, case number 20 009791-NI. A DDOT incident in the amount of $71,550. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 
I'm sorry, line item 8.5 and 8.6 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to line item 8.7, a settlement request and lawsuit of Dearborn Pain Specialists, PLC, Reginald Henderson and Christopher Holden versus City of Detroit case number 20-162584-GC, a Department of Transportation situation in the amount of $4,250. Is there a motion to approve? Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.7 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line items 8.8 .8 and 8.9. These are both legal representation and indemnification requests. Line item 8.8 .8 is a request of police officer Antonio Curry in lawsuit of Xavier Cremati versus City of Detroit et al. Case number. 22-004552-NI for police officer Antonio Curry and line item 8.9 is a legal representation and indemnification request of police officer Padilla in lawsuit of Antonio Anaya versus City of Detroit at all case number 21-002838-NI The two items require a closed session. Is there a motion to bring line items 8.8 .8 and 8.9 back in? Hmm. To be determined. <laughs> motion. There is a motion to bring line item 8.8 .8 and 8.9 back at a date to be determined. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.8 .8 and 8.9 shall be brought back at a future date to be determined. Moving on to line item 8.10. Submitting resolution authorization for legal representation and indemnification of transportation equipment operator Catherine Brown in lawsuit of Malcolm Talley versus City of Detroit at all case number 21-001321-NF. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.10 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Without objection, I'd like to combine line items 8.11 and 8.12. The two items are requests for legal, represent, legal representation and indemnification 
of transportation equipment operators. Uh, the first line item is uh, Operator Vaughn in lawsuit of Thomas Stevens. The line item 8.12 is Operator Vernon Turner in lawsuit of Ajani Young. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.11 and 8.12 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to line item 8.13. Submitting resolution authorization a resolution to proclaim November as Family Court Awareness Month. Is there a motion to approve? There's a motion to approve line item 8.13. Hearing no objection, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.13 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Yes, Mr. Scott. Yeah, um, 8.15 is currently, is gonna be referred to budget. It got referred to IOS and error. Thank you. Moving on to line item 8.14. Submitting resolution authorization contract number 6004676, 100% city funding to provide marketing and communication services to bring awareness and understanding to the city's new adult use marijuana licensing program, contractor, Ignition Media Group, Contract amount, $150,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Thank you. Discussion? Member Waters. All right, so, well, I'm certainly pleased that seven or eight firms um, were invited, so that's a good thing. We still only had four that submitted bids. I don't know why so many, so, I mean, maybe they just didn't like what they read or something. I'm, I suppose, I'm not sure what happened here. But um, I just wanted to point that out, Madam Chair. So, with that, motion to approve. There is a motion to approve line item 8.14. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.14 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 8.18 is, I'm sorry, line item 8.15 is uh, submitting report and proposed ordinance uh, that was erroneously referred to the Internal Operations Standing Committee. Is there a motion to send this line item back to council president to be properly referred to the budget finance and audit committee motion any objection hearing none that action shall be taken line item 
shall be sent to Council President Sheffield to be referred to BFNA. Moving on to line item 8.16. Submitting resolution authorization settlement in lawsuit of Eldred Berry and Michael Tennant versus City of Detroit, case number 17-CV-13877 in the amount of $10,000. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.16 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Line item 8.17, submitting resolution authorization for a request for legal representation and indemnification of police officer Dane Hunter in lawsuit of Devin Rodin versus City of Detroit at all case number 22-006 120-NI for police officer Dane Hunter. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Oh, Discussion. my apologies. I'm asking for a closed session, Madam Chair. Thank you for that. Is there a motion to bring line item 8.17 back at a date to be determined so that a closed session can be scheduled? Motion. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Line item 8.17 shall be brought back at a date to be determined. Moving on to line item 8.19. Submitting resolution authorization, a request to accept and appropriate a cash donation from the Association of Corporate Council or Project Clean Slate. Is there a motion to approve or discuss? Madam Chair, did we did we do member eight point eighteen? Did we do eight point eighteen? Yes. Okay. Thank you, ma'am. Is there a motion on line item eight point nineteen? Motion. motion. Mm -hmm. There's a motion to approve line item eight point nineteen. Hearing no objections. That action shall be taken. Line item 8.19 shall be sent to formal with a recommendation to approve. Moving on to line item 8.20, 8.20, implementation of the 2022 through 2027 labor agreement between the City of Detroit Police Department and the employees represented by the Detroit Police Officers Association and the Detroit Police Lieutenants Sergeants Association. Is there a motion to discuss? Discussion. Thank you. Uh, I did receive an email with some questions regarding line item 8.20. Good morning, Mr. Corley. Good morning, uh, Madam Chair and uh, Council members. Good morning. Hey. And I'm not sure who else is joining us. Oh, he just turned the screen off. 
Madam Chair. Yes, Malik Mr. Washington. Washington. Malik Washington on behalf of the mayor's office. We do have Chief White online as well as Neveris and Commander Parrish and Hakeem Barry. Thank you. Good morning. When you see your face, feel free to introduce yourself. Good morning, Council uh, Chief White, Detroit Police. Commander Michael Parrish, Detroit Police. Neverus Lazarko, Agency CFO for the Police. And Madam Chair, Malik Washington. We do have Steve Watson online as well, if he can be promoted. Thank you. <clears throat> Mr. Barry, would you like to introduce yourself for the record? Uh, sorry about that, Madam Chair. I had a, a slow connection there. Hakeem Berry, I'm uh, the Chief Operating Officer and formerly the Director of Labor Relations. I was the Chief Spokesperson for these contracts. And Mr. Watson. Uh, good morning, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, uh, Steve Watson, uh, Deputy CFO and Budget Director. Thank you. Uh, so why don't we start with Chief White. Can you share with us what we have here before us? Uh, yes, the recommended raises uh, for uh, the Detroit uh, Police Department, the Lieutenants and Sergeants Association, and the Detroit Police Officers Association. Uh, I can speak, uh, they can, uh, Nev can speak to, or our, our CFO can speak to the numbers. I will speak to the need. Um, I'll start with uh, our attrition in the department. Um, we were averaging uh, about 20 five members a month uh, leaving the department. Uh, the overwhelming majority of those were leaving for positions in other, other police departments. Um, I know this to be true because when we do our exit interviews, we talk to the officers to ask them uh, the reason that they're leaving. Uh, many of them are committed. They certainly uh, love the work environment from the standpoint of the camaraderie amongst the officers uh, and they're committed to our city. Uh, but the economics of it, uh, when you look at the the work uh, and the uh, costs, as well as uh, the time needed for them to make a, a a salary that is is just basically average, uh, many of them have to put in uh, significant overtime. Uh, Detroit police officers in 2021 responded to 278,000. 223 police runs already this year they've responded to 244,159 police runs as of today uh those i'll give you a couple of the uh high level runs uh as of today they've responded to 256 homicides uh 540 sexual assaults 8,744 aggravated assaults and 806 uh, non-fatal shootings. Uh, every category that I've given you with the exception of homicides actually represents a reduction. And you can see that those are still robust numbers. Uh, and what happens is when you have officers with that type of exposure and experience, training and expertise, uh, they are highly sought after by other agencies around the city, or around the state, uh, correction, around the state. Uh, because of that experience and the things that they uh, have the opportunity uh, to learn from uh, and, and handle. Uh, a lot of agencies around the state don't operate at that volume of, of, of police runs. 
so our officers become highly seasoned uh, in, a, in a short amount of time. With that, um, we have lost a number of our officers to Oakland County Sheriff, uh, as well as uh, other agencies, Farmington Hills, uh, and many others around uh, the state. Again, in talking to our officers, the number one reason for leaving uh, is the money. So we're very excited to have the opportunity to pay them a living wage uh, that is competitive uh, with other agencies. Uh, I'll give you just very quickly, from January 1st, 2022 to September 30th, uh, 2022, we had 196 officers resign. 196. We currently operate with just under 300 openings, and we run an academy uh, of about uh, 30 per month. Now, we were just able to uh, recalibrate our academy training uh, and put in a, a very robust recruiting effort, which got us up to that 30 number. But prior to that, our recruiting numbers were around 18 to 20 a month on average. Uh, so we're happy that we're, we're recruiting more and we anticipate that number growing uh, uh, with these these raises. Uh, but I do want to go back to that 18 to 20. If you're if you are trading out 25 on average, 20 to 25 a month and you're running an academy at 20, uh, you can see the, the deficit there that grows every month. And that deficit uh, creates overtime, uh, overtime officers, uh, you know, you have to work it. I mean, we don't get a timeout in policing. Uh, if we don't have the bodies, then we are required to pull officers over, uh, double up uh, their shifts. Um, many officers are working 16 hours. When you have an officer who is working 16 hours dealing with the volume of runs and violence that we've just discussed, uh, it creates a, a, a number of different issues. Uh, one, a tired officer uh, certainly um, is not at his or her best. Uh, and and certainly uh, creates a, an officer safety issue. So overtime is not the is not the answer. Uh, my overtime budget is going to approach fifty million dollars uh, in overtime, and uh, our CFO uh, can confirm that number. But if if it is trending the way that I I see it trending daily, uh, Nev, it looks like it's going to hit about fifty million. Is that correct? Uh, yes, Chief. Uh, the the actuals will uh, are expected to hit approximately fifty million dollars versus a budget of forty two million. And so, uh, being able to recruit, retain, uh, and reduce overtime gives us a healthier workforce. Uh, the morale will be increased. A competitive salary uh, that will slow down uh, our attrition rate. Uh, and just by example, uh, I have already since uh, the unions have uh, ratified the. the uh, contract being proposed uh, to council, uh, I've already received 13 uh, requests to return to the Detroit Police Department. Uh, one of them, well, actually a couple of them, but one, uh, usually when I get these is, dear chief, may I come back? I miss the department. Uh, you know, I certainly miss the work environment and I miss the citizens of the city of Detroit. Uh, one really step, uh, jumps out at me is, is one I received recently uh, and I'll just give you one snippet of it. Uh, the officer indicates, unfortunately, I was compelled to resign from the city of Detroit as a police officer earlier uh, this year. Uh, this was the hardest choice that I've ever had to make. Uh, but looking at my financial constraints uh, with a wife and three children, it was difficult for me to live off a two-week paycheck without working overtime and sacrificing time with my family. Uh, in paraphrase summation, he goes on to talk about how happy he is that we uh, are finally 
uh, able to uh, pay a competitive wage. And he would like for me to allow him to come back to the, the city uh, to continue his career. Uh, so with that, I'll, I will take any questions and, and unless you want to go to someone else. Thank you. Uh, any questions, Member Waters? Uh, thank you, Madam President. Good morning, Chief. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, where is he coming back from, that police officer? Uh, I will get that for you. It might be in here. All right. Well, while you look for that, um, I just want to say I certainly uh, I've always thought that we didn't pay our police officers enough. Um, and so um, I um, I'm happy to see that that you're working on that. The other piece of it. I wonder for those who come in and get the best training that they can get to go anywhere in this state and or country. What's the answer, and you know, if they leave too soon? I mean, should we have them to repay us for the training, or, oh, you know, we need to do something about that? I'd like to hear your your suggestion, Chief. Yes, um, I'm gonna do. Yes, I will, ma'am. Uh, give me one second. Uh, I'm gonna ask my chief of staff to get the information you requested regarding the mm -hmm. the agency this particular officer is coming back from. Mike, if okay. you could handle that for me, uh, I would appreciate it. Um, with regards to your question on what we can do, we've already uh, implemented a policy that is in our con the new contract uh, mm -hmm. for your review. And in that, uh, what we did was we put a, a prorated uh, rate of paying us back if you leave early for another agency. Uh, and I was looking for uh, that proration. But basically, in a nutshell, what it is, is uh, we're asking you to commit to the citizens of this city and to this department for a specific period of time after your training. Uh, should you leave earlier for another agency, then there will be uh, a portion of your training that you must pay back uh, if you leave earlier than the, I believe it's a two-year window that we're requiring for you to stay. Maybe three, though. I need to check that. Um, but yes, and we did that, you know, not to, to be punitive, but at the same time, we recognize that we put a lot of money into training our officers and getting them ready for the street. Uh, we do not want to be uh, an academy for our suburban counterparts. Uh, our taxpayers spend a lot of money uh, to to ensure that our officers receive top-notch training. And we're one of the few agencies that put their own officers through an academy, we have a very uh, dynamic academy, uh, well-respected around the state. Uh, and uh, we're one of the few agencies that pay you while you're in that academy. Uh, so we uh, we feel that it is only right that if you take our training and go somewhere else that you should pay us back so we can use those dollars uh, to provide this benefit uh, to uh, another member of our community that wants to join our police department. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Chief White, you oh, I'm sorry if uh, my comments out of place. Chief White, you requested the uh, agency the officer was returning from. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Ann Arbor. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Member Calloway. Yes, um, thank you, Madam Chair, and good morning, everyone. I just have a quick question. Are we still using um, police officers to um, control traffic after sports games? Uh, sometimes, yes. Uh, oftentimes, yes, it's supplemented with civilians as well. Uh, and you will note on that that we have uh, agency agreements with these uh, many of the uh, 
sporting facilities, uh, oftentimes uh, we recoup those costs and those, those agencies pay for that service. Okay, because we just had a case here where a police officer fell asleep behind the wheel. And I'm wondering, you know, with this overtime, are they even fit for duty? I mean, everybody, you know, deserves ample, you know, amount of hours of sleep. And if they are working, you know, overtime just to pay their bills, you know, we really have to look at that. Um, and I would hope that we can move away from having armed officers um, controlling traffic after games downtown. Um, thank you, um, Chief White, and thank you, Madam Chair. Madam Chair. Thank you. Uh, Chief White, did you want to respond to that? I, I do want to respond to that. Um, is now the appropriate time? Sure. Okay, so with regards to the officer falling asleep, I'm not familiar with that particular case. We have uh, policy on that, and those are, you know, respectfully, those are separate issues. If we've got an officer that that is not fit for duty, uh, then that's something that I want brought to my attention. I will look into that uh, and to find out exactly where we are with that investigation. That That is a misconduct case. Uh, with regards to uh, traffic enforcement at games, uh, there are some specific rules with regards to professional sporting events where there's a certain number of uh, sworn members needed uh, that is sanctioned by the NFL, the NHL, uh, as well as um, whoever runs baseball that I can't think of right now, um, MLB. Um, and we are required uh, to have a safe environment uh, from Homeland Security perspective and other uh, aspects of that to have sworn uh, members. Uh, as I indicated, What's, what's not known to a lot of people is that oftentimes the city is reimbursed for those services and that allows us uh, to deploy, um, you know, those officers, you know, that are that that we're not being reimbursed for to our neighborhoods. Um, in addition to that, uh, our traffic pattern and plan, we are moving to a civilian uh, uh, counterpart to support police with regards to traffic but at the end of the day sometimes our traffic patterns particularly downtown are so dynamic that we need uh, sworn officers to be able to block off streets use their scout car that type of thing but we it is on our radar to use as many civilian traffic enforcement officers as we possibly can uh, to reduce the number that we need downtown i totally agree with you ma'am with regards to the overtime overtime should not be uh, our primary source of, of deploying officers. I think it creates a number of different issues for us. It burns the officers out, it reduces morale. Uh, and, but also, you know, we wanna keep our officers healthy, both uh, mentally, emotionally, and professionally. And when you have an officer who's always on 16 hours of overtime, uh, you're not putting the best officer out there because you're not putting a well-rested officer uh out there so it's it's not good for the officers not good for the departments not good for the city however police work comes with overtime when we get a run uh you get a homicide you get an accident you get a shooting it ends when it ends it does is we, we can't just punch out uh when the eight hours are up but if from a programming standpoint and a policy standpoint it certainly should not be our primary source of deployment it should only happen uh when we are trying to accommodate some unique and specific uh plan strategy uh or you know some something unique is occurring such as a run that's being held over this contract allows us uh to bring that in line i will tell you i don't want to mischaracterize that it's going to be a, an overnight process uh we didn't get here overnight uh, but it will move us in the right direction uh so that there will be a point in time uh, when we have our positions filled 
Uh, we have our deployment, which would be primary neighborhoods, primary neighborhoods, primary neighborhoods. Now, one of the things we're going to do with these 300 officers that we hire is put them in the neighborhoods, give them an opportunity to go up and down the streets. When you don't have enough officers, they're on the thoroughfares and are going from run to run to run. We want to be able to patrol our neighborhoods, reduce crime by virtue of police uh, visibility, uh, not necessarily interaction, but visibility, and certainly one of the biggest complaints I get is our driving in the communities, uh, running stop signs, uh, lots of accidents. Uh, this will give us an opportunity to do that as well. Um, and thank you. Thank you, Chief White. I have one um, additional question. What is the percentage of civilians working in precincts? Are all the um, folks working in precincts armed officers? They are not all armed officers. Um, we have, uh, I can get you that percentage. I do not have it with me right now. Uh, but we have um, what we call our desk operations officers or desk operation support. Um, we have, um, and these are people who just take police reports at the desk. They are not armed. Um, the precincts that have station security, they are uh, sworn and armed. Uh, we also have uh, a number of uh, administrative support positions in the front office of the commander and captain, as well as in the, the uh, precinct detective bureaus or, or precinct um, investigative operations. Those are uh, filled with civilian staff support as well. Also, we have um, our, our mental health co-response. We have a social worker, not at all precincts, I'll have to get you which ones, but that social worker works with our domestic violence teams uh, to respond and to support that. We have ceasefire that are at precincts that operate out of our precincts. And even some of our precincts uh, have prosecutors working out of those precincts to handle violent crime as well as uh, shootings. And, um, Member Galloway. Thank you, Madam Chair. And Chief White, another question. I don't know if you can answer this now or maybe, you know, anticipate me asking this sometime um, during budget deliberations. But my question is, when are we going to renovate some of these precincts? Because the 12th precinct is horrible. And that can't do much for morale. It's, it's, it's terrible. So uh, they need furniture, they need new flooring, they need a new paint job, they need furniture. There's hardly anywhere to sit when you come in here to make a complaint or wait until they call your name or whatever. I mean, I've been in there and, you know, I get it and get out as quickly as I can. And, and, and I, I, I don't even want to see the bathrooms in there. Our, our police officers deserve better in these precincts. And we can start with the 12th precinct, with, which I am personally familiar with. And it's just not, you know, I know we want to do all this with the hangar, but I'd like to see those resources go into these precincts in these neighborhoods. So when someone like me goes in there making a complaint, I'm, not only am I feeling comfortable, but it's a, aesthetically nice. And right now, the 12th precinct is not nice. And I feel sorry for the officers. I wouldn't want to even go in there and punch in for work. It's depressing. It's dark. It's gloomy. And the furniture, I mean, is hideous. And it could stand some, um, some paint. So if you can just, you know, maybe we can talk about this later. I know we're not supposed to be maybe talking about it now, but now, you know, we, we have you here and we have Mr. Watson here and we have the union reps here. The police officers deserve much better when you're coming to work. We have this beautiful facility here. They deserve no less. And I agree with you, ma'am. Uh, and let me tell Chief you. White, yes. Before you respond to that, um, 
there's a finite amount of money in the budget, just so you're aware. But no, um, I also want to make note of the ninth precinct because the ninth <laughs> precinct still has the Eastern District sign outside of the ninth precinct, and I do know that there are dollars to um, hopefully. I, I think the ninth precinct should be demolished and rebuilt um, because that facility is just so old. And I've I've been there. I've toured it. Um, but feel free to go ahead and respond to Member Calloway's question. And your yes. question. Yes, I'm going to respond to both of you. Um, so I did nine years as an assistant chief. And one of my responsibilities uh, at support operations um, was to oversee uh, a number of different facility upkeep, upgrades, uh, build outs. Uh, and I will tell you that the bankruptcy was a flashpoint for the city. But before you declare bankruptcy, you're going bankrupt. So we have many, many, many years of the lack of investment in our facilities. Uh, and so one of my charges was to take a little bit of money, keep the buildings in a state of good repair and build out a strategy for a long-term solution and build out for our buildings. I think we did a very good job uh, with that, uh, but it was a slow process and the fruits of that process are, are still being reviewed after all, the, or still being uh, received after all those years. Uh, I'll, I'll go back very quickly, uh, not to get too long-winded because we can have a single-purpose meeting about this, but I do want you to know a couple of things. All of the buildings needed rehab uh, and, and stabilization. I mean, it was just some of these conditions were deplorable. Uh, we went into six, we redid six, and we scheduled out how our rebuilds and, and investments would go into the facilities. Number 12 at the time uh, was stable. Now, was it beautiful? Absolutely not. Uh, but it was in, it was in state of what we call good repair, meaning that the lights work, the heat work, the air work. But we agree uh, that it needed to be scheduled up for a long term solution. Uh, number seven, not so much. Number seven, uh, we bought that building from the water department and uh, it was problematic from the day we got it. They, they gave us a great deal. We couldn't pass it up. And uh, we, we have a planned schedule investment. We did a little bit of investment in that, uh, but not a long term solution. Uh, number eight, uh, one of our proudest build outs uh, is complete, beautiful, uh, needs some some basic maintenance right now. But that's a uh, complete uh, restoration of a building that we bought uh, and redid. Number five, the same thing. So I, as I go through all of these, there was a schedule. Uh, number three was a new build and a build out, a finite amount of money for a lot of buildings. Um, next up, is the ninth precinct. You'll be happy to know that ninth precinct is, is under construction right now. Uh, millions of dollars, I was, I was looking for, I uh, wasn't uh, anticipating this question, but I usually try to keep uh, the status on my desk. Um, we've got millions going into number nine. It won't be a, a complete um, leveling of the building and rebuild, but I, I'm pretty confident that you'll be very happy with what you see. We're going completely through the building. Uh, and restoring the entire building. And, and, and ma'am, I'll invite you to that ribbon cutting early spring. Um, number 12 is on the list and I will make sure that they at least uh, paint uh, and carpet and get some, some furniture in there. That's something that we can do, but I, I know that it's not scheduled for a, uh, a, a major overhaul, but um, state of good repair work we can do. Uh, and I agree with you. It, it certainly does impact morale when you don't have uh, professional facilities to work in you know, we we see the results of what happened at five when we put in uh, the new fifth precinct. We see what happens at eight when we put in the new eighth precinct. So I completely agree with you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Uh, so, Chief White, I just want to say to you that um, I believe that the, the conversations that we have here at this table are being heard. I want to commend Investigator High. Um, Member Callaway mentioned an officer who had fallen asleep, and um, it is a situation that we are um, dealing with now. We are having a closed session for that particular incident. Um, and I think partly due to Investigator High and him understanding um, not only your direction, uh, but also the uh, direction and, and the requests that come from this body as it relates to improving behavior. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about an increase for officers that I'm sure will improve morale for the officers and they'll appreciate the financial boost, um, but we also want to make sure that we are improving behavior of our officers and that they are professional and respectful of our residents. And so um, I know that you feel the same and, and I appreciate Investigator High and um, the, the way that he's moving forward in these cases that come before us during the Internal Operations Standing Committee. So just wanted to make note of that. Um, and I believe we are primarily here because Mr. Corley had some questions. And so, Mr. Corley, if you'd like to um, ask your questions. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair. So, as you know, before you is the resolution um, from the administration, primarily from the Labor Relations Division, uh, for the implementation of the 2022 through 2027 labor agreement between the city of Detroit Police Department and the employees represented by the Detroit Police Officers Association and the Detroit Police Lieutenants Sergeants Association. Um, so this will be a five-year contract. And um, to pay for this contract, uh, it would be uh, supported by a budget amendment if council approves it, that budget amendment is going to be discussed in the budget finance and audit committee uh, this afternoon. So my questions are primarily fiscal. Um, and when you look at this, as I Mr. Corley, it looks like you were muted. The last thing we heard you say was that your questions are primarily fiscal related. Okay, I, I, I really apologize, um, Madam Chair. You hear me now? Yes. Okay, so let me just uh, start at the beginning, uh, just uh, real quickly. So of course what's before you um, is the resolution um, from labor relations for the implementation of the 2022 through 2027 labor agreement between the city of Detroit um, Police Department and the employees represented by the Detroit Police Officers Association and the Detroit Police Lieutenant Sergeants Association. Um, this is a five-year contract and to pay for this contract, if council were to approve it, uh, would be via a budget amendment. And that budget amendment will be taken up in the Budget Finance and Audit Committee uh, this afternoon. Um, and so 
in my email to you, um, I indicate that, you know, it, it is commendable for the uh, city of Detroit to uh, attempt to raise uh, police salaries to be um, competitive with outlining communities and possibly with, with, um, cities, with cities of similar population and size. Um, however, if council were to approve these labor contracts, it would be a major cost. It would be a high price tag to the city's general fund. Uh, according to the fiscal impact statement that is um, a, 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 a attached to the budget amendment that's going to be discussed. And I think the impact statement is attached to this resolution from labor relations as well. According to the um, fiscal impact statement, the first year implementation cost is $40 million. That's going to grow to $87 million by the fifth year, fiscal year 2027. And it will remain at $87 million thereafter if there's no increase um, in, in, in labor um, uh, costs beyond that. But if there are, there's, that, that $87 million is gonna continue to grow, which means that right now in order to uh, support this increase, we have to grab the growth in revenue that's, that, that we're seeing right now, which is primarily income tax uh, revenue growth. And so we ask a lot of questions about the income tax growth because we think that some of it may be um, a little soft. Um, however, the lion's share of the income tax growth is solid. But we just want to ask the, the numerous questions, given the import of this issue, given that it is going to be a high price tag to the city's general fund, um, which means that wiggle room that we do have is gonna be reduced. Wiggle room to address other uh, labor contracts that's, that's uh, coming in the near future, you know, next uh, uh, years, a uh, couple years or so. Um, and, and we know we have a pension cliff issue that's uh, be, before city council starting next fiscal year, starting next July 1st of 2023. Just to, re, just to remind the council, that pension issue um, in the current four-year plan was estimated to be $135 million. Now, the current estimate is $160 million because of poor investment return. So we have a lot of costs that we have to deal with as a city. And so therefore, because of that, we ask 36 questions, questions that, that, that relate to the budget amendment, questions that relate to the fiscal impact statement. And then we ask questions relating to the proposed contracts. We feel that council should receive from labor relations why um, this is before council? Why meaning that what data do you have? What market studies do you have? What comparative salary information from the outlining communities that you're competing with that you can share with the council and the citizens so that the council can make an informed decision regarding this issue? So because we have 36 questions, we were asking to bring both this line item 
and um, the the budget amendment line item back in a week to give the administration an opportunity to address you know these thirty six questions, um, and so uh, that's what we have on the table. Um, you know, you probably want to hear from the administration uh, if 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 waiting a week is, is workable. Um, but um, I, we would greatly appreciate responses to these questions to assist the city council in deliberating over this very important but costly issue. Thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Chief White. Yes, thank you, uh, Madam Chair. Uh, Notwithstanding the, the financial impact of, of this uh, raise, uh, I think we need to look at a number of different components. Number one is retention uh, and recruitment and recruiting talent. And when you talk about recruiting talent, there's, a, there's an impact to talented uh, police officers being able to pay uh, for the services that we expect uh, from our officers. Uh, I, when you were talking, um, earlier, uh, I believe, I can't see who was speaking, uh, but Councilwoman, I believe it was you, uh, Councilwoman Calloway, uh, regarding the officer that was sleeping. Uh, when we talked about uh, uh, second DC Ha out of my office, who was re very responsive to counsel uh, with regards to the sleeping officer, because it was uh, characterized as happening downtown, I misspoke and thought it, I was not aware of it. I am very aware uh, of the case that you're speaking of. Uh, and we took very strict uh, and strong action against uh, the officer's conduct. We also took a very swift action on a number of incidents of misconduct uh, because we, we we certainly have a standard of professionalism that we require each and every officer uh, to, to work in and under. Uh, but we also need to have that same standard as it relates to attracting uh, officers to do this very important work. When you when you have an officer who is best fit for duty, who is not con continuously working double after double after double, and you know, 16 hours a day, five, six days a week, uh, you have a, a, a better prepared officer, a well-rested officer. That officer has less incidents of negativity uh, with our community, thereby reducing possible lawsuits. Now, I'm not going to say to you that that we will be the only agency in the United States of America that doesn't have a disciplinary process because we will have the most perfect officer. No profession has that. Not any police department, any council team, any 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 group has someone who can who can benefit from from coaching. Uh, so I'm not saying that this raise will will accomplish that. But what I am saying this raise does is it puts us at a level where we can compete and attract people to do the work that we're doing here in the city of Detroit. Other agencies around this state sees that, see that and they recruit from that. They look at the volume of runs, they look at the quality of candidate, they look at the level, level of exposure and training and experience, and they are plucking our people away at a rate of about 20 a month. Uh, and because of that, our overtime rate is $50 million. So, and 300 open positions. Uh, I would ask that council move on this today uh, because uh, recruitment and retention is important. I would ask that council consider the fact that we are likely to significantly reduce our overtime, uh, which again is at $50 million. Uh, 
also, when you take into account the 300 open positions with fringe, uh, I'm no mathematician, but I, I know those are robust numbers because I know that an officer with fringe is over $100,000 per police officer. And simple math tells me that when you add those 300 open positions to the $50 million that we're spending in overtime, we've got a tremendous opportunity uh, to actually save money uh, if things line up the way that we anticipate that they will. Thank you so much. So that actually begs the question about the item that's going to be discussed in budget finance and audit. I, my, my question was actually going to be that because we've, we did see a number of officers who left the department, there were some financial savings as a result of that. How is that playing into the discussion that's taking place this afternoon? But I guess I'll be there this afternoon to listen. Mr. Watson, uh, Mr. Berry, anybody want to chime in about the, the overall cost, the overall impact that this particular line item will have on the city's budget? Uh, uh, yes, Madam Chair, um, I'm happy to do so. Again, Steve Watson, uh, WCFO Budget Director, and looking forward to the conversation this afternoon at BFNA as well. Um, so, as Mr. Corley was discussing earlier, um, the impact on the current year budget is about um, uh, is about 20, uh, $22 million that we're asking for in a budget amendment this year. That's net of savings from the fact that this contract uh, is taking effect uh, midway through the fiscal year. Um, the effective date is uh, the ratification date, not back to the start of the fiscal year. Um, there are some savings provisions in the contract related to eliminating certain uh, subclassifications. Uh, and the budget already included uh, a base wage increase pattern um, of about 3%. Um, this is certainly larger than that. And that's why the budget amendment we're seeking later today for $22 million is to close that remaining gap. Um, as Mr. Corley mentioned, we're able to support that budget amendment due to the increase in our income tax revenue as approved at the September Revenue Estimating Conference. Uh, in future years, as the costs grow, um, the revenue increase alone doesn't cover the whole cost, but as uh, was discussed earlier today, our expectation is that in future years we'll be able to achieve overtime savings as we fill all of the department's vacancies, as the chief was discussing. You know, this is something that with the, with the tools in this new contract, we can, uh, we can achieve those savings over time uh, and help to pay for the, the full cost of this contract. Those savings will, will help it get it across the finish line. It, Madam Chair, if I may just uh, lob on to uh, Mr. Watson's uh, comment, and, and I think uh, I just kind of want to bring us back home a little bit. These are two collective bargaining agreements by two uh, unions, and it, wages is one component of that. There's a heavy component, but it is a five-year contract that had multiple uh, items that was negotiated to improve uh, the management, to improve uh, working conditions and the like uh, uh, for the department and, and for the union. Um, it was ratified overwhelmingly by the, the members of both of those unions. Um, just like we do with any of our 50, over 50 collective bargaining units, we do evaluate the salaries with the market. It is just a natural component of HR. And we have made market adjustments through contract negotiations and 
Most times we try to find offsets through efficiencies to offset uh, uh, the increment in wages. And, and with our CFO uh, directive that I was actually part of the author of that, where uh, before we bring a contract uh, to council, we do the fiscal impact analysis to actually examine, can we afford this and where the money is gonna come from? Um, and I think one of the questions Mr. Corley has, do we have market uh, analysis and the like to justify um, the wages, that's just a natural component we have. We have all those things that we can provide uh, to Mr. Corley and, and all those who will want to see that. But again, this is, you know, I know we're focused on the economic part of it, but it is a collective bargain agreement uh, in its totality. Thank you. Member Calloway? Yeah, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Berry. Um, I see two, I see two, um, not issues, but uh, points of conversation. Um, one, it would seem to me, um, Mr. Corley should, I don't know how appropriate it is, Mr. Corley perhaps should have been a part of those discussions. I don't know, um, because maybe we wouldn't be here today with 36 outstanding questions that haven't been answered, which I do want them answered before I, you know, proceed with line item 8.20. So is there a reason why Mr. Corley, through the chair, you're not a part of these discussions, and maybe some of your 36 questions could have been answered during um, the process prior to today. Madam Chair? Mr. Corley? Yeah, so um, typically the administration um, oversees the uh, collective bargaining um, process. Um, they, you know, negotiate with the unions, mm -hmm. uh, as Mr. Berry alluded to, you know, they hash out, you know, in, uh, all the issues that they can, you know, management issues. Um, they look at a number of issues. And just like, you know, a, a, a development agreement, you know, after the administration uh, finalizes their collective bargaining uh, agreements uh, and they're ratified by the unions, then they come to city council for approval, just like say a development agreement. Mm -hmm. Um, comes before city council for consideration and approval. Um, so we typically, you know, uh, and, and, and I believe there's a section in the city charter that we have to be careful not to um, assume the role of the, um, um, the mayor's office and administration. So, so, you know, we're here to help the council to deliberate, you know, over these decisions from administration. And, um, and uh, that's just, basically the way it works. Um, but because of the import of this uh, of this um, decision that you have before you, that's why we're asking the number of questions that we are. Thank you. Um, thank you, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Calloway. So my question again is, um, Mr. Corley, through the chair, Mr. Corley, is it a violation of an ordinance or um, some agreement, some something in writing that would prohibit um, you um, not participating in the um, labor uh, negotiations, but um, to be present at some juncture so we wouldn't be here today with 36 outstanding questions. That, that's, that's my question. Is, 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 are we violating any written rule that prohibits you from sitting in some parts of these discussions so you can be taking notes and then you can, you know, because now we're here and this is before us and you have 36 outstanding questions that I do want to an have answers to before we proceed. So 
I'm just trying to figure out, is there a mechanism that we can consider moving forward that would allow you some time, not participation, but from an observation standpoint. So when this is about to come before council, your concerns on our behalf could be addressed. Uh, yeah, Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Corley. So, you know, if, if, if there's if there's a um, if there's a time frame between after labor uh, um, agreements are ratified and when they look to come to city council and they give me a heads up, you know, they get they they share those agreements with me. If that can be baked in future pro processes, um, sure. I you know I, I would love to. Um, in my team, you know, it's not just me, of course. You know, I've got a fiscal team that helps me with this. Sure, we would love to. Um, you know, look at those documents um, before they come to city council. Um, but you know, oftentimes these things are done at the eleventh hour, and so therefore, when they come to city council. You know, it's probably not that much time available for me to look, take a look at them until until they actually come before you. So, but yes, in in the future, if if um, the administration can um, uh, uh, provide you know ratified agreements um, to our office before uh, they come to city council, uh, we'd be happy to to start our review process. Thank you. Member Calloway. Madam Chair, I think that might be moving forward um, um, something we can um, discuss and agree on if it's possible, legal, um, not prohibited. I think that would be great. Um, and then we wouldn't be here today with 36 outstanding questions because we can't move forward if there are 36 questions that have not been answered. And you are part of this legislature. You work with us and for us. So I have to put a lot of um, stock into these questions and I would feel more comfortable if we can have these questions answered, Madam Chair, um, before we proceed. Thank you, Member Callaway. Thank you, Madam uh, Chair. So, so I have some reservations as well. I'd, I'd like to be very closely connected to the discussion that takes place in BFNA before moving forward um, with this particular uh, line item. And so... I'm not sure what the will of the body is, but I think it's important for us to identify resources, where they're coming from, mm -hmm. before we move forward on this agreement. May I ask a question? Chief White? Yes, please. Uh, if I may ask a question through the chair. We submitted uh, this packet uh, prior to this moment in time uh, Mr. Connolly, when, when did you, or Ms. Corley, when did you get the um, the packet? Madam Chair? If I may yes. ask him that question, because I, I thought that the purpose of submitting it early was for the very review that we're speaking of right now. Mr. Corley? We got the packet when it was um, a part of the formal session's agenda. Uh, the new business um, section. And so we got it uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Mm -hmm. Madam Chair, if I may, I, I think the anomaly here is that Mr. Corley has 36 questions. This process has been normal. And I think Mr. Corley spoke to that. Um, one thing that I've changed uh, in our process and since I've, I've joined the city uh, for the labor, labor relations is to make sure that we are processing our contracts expeditiously. 
prior to that, it would take months and months before the effectuation of the agreement because we would, you know, uh, go over back and forth with language. Um, so this, these uh, contracts were uh, ratified October 3rd, and I think the other one was maybe the 5th. And we've worked with the legal counsel of both unions for ever since that day, trying to finalize everything so that we can have a clean, complete contract signed by everyone submitted to you. So as soon as we dotted the last sentence and crossed the last T, uh, we submitted that to you. And, and I think maybe the process doesn't you know, allow uh, an elongated period for Mr. Corley's team to review these. Um, outside of this contract, there normally um, isn't a, a lot of questions uh, for that. Um, perhaps we can look at uh, some other way. Uh, you know, just our process requires a clean side contract, Mr. Corley. So, you know, we don't really review drafts until all of the legal parties from both sides have, have uh, approved it. Thank you for that. Uh, Chief White, did that answer your question? Yeah, I just wanted to thank you, ma'am, uh, through the chair. I just wanted to make sure that we were doing everything on our end, uh, because as uh, Mr. Berry indicated, this is somewhat of an anomaly. This, you know, I've gone through this process before, and I was, you know, surprised that we we had that that number of questions uh, regarding, uh, you know, where we are uh, with regards to the economics. I mean, we we did do our market research. Um, we know uh, the deficit that we're operating with. Uh, economically with our officers. We know what a competitive wage is. We know how far below the line we are. Uh, we were fiscally responsible uh, with our recommendations, but it was also uh, built in a manner in which we could attract uh, both uh, our own officers to stay, but get lateral officers that would come from other departments, uh, such as Ann Arbor, which we have before us today. Uh, the, also in the contract, uh, we have uh, layers in it that protects the city, that uh, in, encourages uh, quality, productive officers, uh, and has uh, some accountability metrics in it as well. Uh, everything from your ability to promote up in the organization, you have to demonstrate proficiency, uh, knowledge, uh, and certainly a, a work record uh, that is admirable to the point where we would want you to supervise in our agency. So we were very deliberate in building this. Um, many, many hours went into this. Uh, we looked at long-term projections uh, economically for the department. We look at retention, uh, retirements. Uh, and so we, we were very confident that we had a, a, a well-thought-out uh, professional packet submitted to council. Uh, so I was, I won't say taken aback, but somewhat surprised uh, when I, I saw the, the or heard about the 36 questions, uh, asking some of the questions that we I thought we had already answered. But um, I, I still will ask, uh, that this council uh, considers moving this forward, but I certainly understand uh, your concerns. Thank you so much for that. And I, we appreciate all the work that has gone into um, getting the agreement to where it is today. I think we all want to be as comfortable with the agreement as you all are and um, not having the ability and the time to be able to go through it and understand it, understand how it's being financed um, is a concern that I have. And so I would like to have that time um, and to be involved or to listen to a budget finance and audit to hear the discussion so that we can clearly see where the, the dollars are, are coming from. I think we all are in agreement with um, 
understanding the need for it, mm -hmm. uh, recognizing the numbers of officers that have left the department um, and the, the quality of officers that have left the department that um, we're now trying to reel back into the department. Um, and so I'm not sure if there are any additional questions or if anyone has anything else to share before we make a motion. Madam Chair. Mr. Corley. Um, this also alert the council that um, this resolution addresses two um, uh, labor unions. There's another one uh, that's still in negotiations, um, the Detroit Command Officers Association labor contract is still in negotiations. But once those negotiations are, are done, then the administration will be coming um, back to the city council uh, to ask for that to be uh, approved by you. And um, I believe that the fiscal impact statement that's before you that will that will be discussed um, in budget finance audit accommodates the impact of the um, labor agreement uh, of the Detroit Command Officer Association if council were to approve it. So I just want to alert you about that. Thank you. Thank you. Madam Chair. Ms. Fulton. Thank you. If I may, uh, through you to this honorable body, not to belabor any of the points that were stated previously, um, administratively, this is typically the flow and the process for when we do submit labor agreements. Um, and typically the agreement goes to internal, the budget amendment goes to finance, and together that is coupled on Tuesday if your honorable body so chooses to move forward um, as one package to allow for us to proceed with this work. Um, the department and budget have worked uh, extensively on this and tirelessly. Um, and Mr. Berry can also attest to some of the conversations held. Um, it was not an easy lift. However, I believe the officers are looking forward to this amendment. Um, and I do believe that they will be uh, quite satisfied if this is moved forward. However, we will respond to Mr. Corley's concerns uh, prior to this week's end, if not sooner and also set up a, a meeting um, prior to the week as well. We're asking that this item be moved to a uh, formal session in the interim of us providing those responses and we'll gladly share with the body of the whole. Thank you, Ms. Fulton. What's the will of the body? Madam Chair, I ask Member that- Calloway. Yes, thank you, Madam Chair. I ask that we bring this back in a week after we've given the administration ample opportunity to answer the 36 questions. I've not seen the 36 questions, but um, uh, one more week um, to me won't make a difference. We know that it's coming, you know, um, it's coming. And, and the officers can rest assured that uh, we believe, the three of us, and I'm sure the entire body and the entire city believes that our officers deserve much more than what they're earning. But at this time, I am absolutely not comfortable with moving this forward without having Mr. Corley's 36 questions answered. And um, one more week or two, um, to me, is not, um, is not asking for too much, Madam Chair. Thank you, Member Calloway. Was that a motion? That is a motion, Madam Chair. Thank you. There's a motion to bring line item 8.20 back in one week. Any objection? Hearing none, that action shall be taken. Thank you all so much. We appreciate it. Um, line item 8.20 shall be brought back in one week.
We appreciate the dialogue, the discussion. Um, I will say that a lot of things move very quickly around here. And I think for, for myself, I can certainly say that um, to make informed decisions, it is important for, for me to feel comfortable in knowing and understanding that I have questions answered um, in order to continue to provide the support that we have. So thank you all. I look forward to hearing, I guess, some questions answered uh, this afternoon in about, oh, less than an hour. So stay queued up. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay, that now brings us to member reports. Vice Chair Waters. No reports, Madam Chair. Thank you. Member Calloway. No report, Madam Chair. How often does this happen? I don't have a report either. So <laughs> if there is nothing else to come before us, we shall stand adjourned.